visit the Downtown Den, join us through our website, all the W's, downtowninbusiness.com. Stay in, stay safe, visit the Downtown Den. Ah, welcome to our latest Downtown Den event, and I'm delighted this morning to be joined by two leading principals from two of our leading regional colleges in the Northwest. We've got Elaine Bowker from the City of Liverpool College, and joining us in a moment when we sort the technology out is Liz Smith from Preston's College. And uh, great to see you, Elaine. And, uh, as yeah, I say, yeah, yeah, I think I think Liz Liz is stuck in the traffic, um, but uh, she's on her way. So, um, what I want to really have a conversation with you guys about this morning is, you know, some of the unique challenges that. Um, colleges the educational sector uh, will be facing and some of the difficulties that you've had to um, begin to deal with yeah. in the immediate and short term but then more importantly perhaps start to look ahead to how colleges can actually begin to help business because I still think that there are people out there that are unaware of that range of service provision yeah. The college is able to to offer business so let's start with those immediate challenges that city of liverpool college have had because you know like everyone else you, you had a very very short leading period to having to deal uh, with what we're doing so how did it impact on the college on a day-to-day -day basis Elaine? um i think it happened very quickly so i think the first issue was closing the college down in a couple of days and moving all of our learning to online learning um, but surprisingly went quite smoothly um, and, and a lot of the students have really been very positive about it. I think the isolation is the biggest issue for students uh, but there's been some really good, good wins as well and our catering has gone worldwide in terms of their lessons and people joining in, uh, businesses and individuals. I think the, the, the uh, challenges for business again, uh, being access to premises in most cases. So for apprentices, uh, wanting to keep apprentices going, all of our NHS uh, were called to the front line. So they've all gone on a break in learning. Um, and many of them have been, uh, many of our other apprentices have been furloughed, uh, but taking the opportunity to accelerate them through their qualifications wherever possible. But with all negatives, there's always an upturn and a positive and what we have seen is a lot more uptake of online learning, both in terms of businesses and individuals, whilst they've got this opportunity, uh, wanting to learn a new skill or do something different, get themselves ready for what the economy might look like in the future. Uh, some immediate challenges as well in terms of um, staff and supporting them from a distance. Uh, like every employer, we've got, we've got a lot of staff, it's about how to make sure that you keep in touch and support them. Um, through this process so yeah it's been a challenge but uh, surprisingly more smooth than I thought it might be uh, but I think all the rest uh, risks are in next year rather than this year and then obviously we've still got the situation where um, we're trying to calculate all our students grades as well and we don't quite know how all of that will be calculated uh, like everything else in colleges and further education we know how it will be calculated for A-levels and GCSEs, but we really need, we can't send our electricians, plumbers and gas engineers out without some kind of trade test. So 
uh, trying to get to a position where we can bring small numbers in to get there. Because we've got 400 uh, plumbers and electricians which are valuable to the economy and essential workers, which we're just trying to get into the building uh, and get them signed off so they can get out to work as well. Mm. So challenges, but getting around it. Yeah, and I suppose that's the area of education that people perhaps aren't as conscious of that vocational education and that yeah. very practical sort of educational uh, activity that you guys undertake and of course as you say Elaine if we are looking uh, a little bit to the future fact of the matter is the construction property you know it's that sector that is going to be seen as the sector that drives forward uh, economic growth certainly in the immediate future with you know, the government promised some money for construction and infrastructure projects. Each of the cities that we operate in are still very confident that some of those bigger projects will be going ahead. Mm -hmm. So as you rightly say, you know, it's, it's vital, isn't it, that you can get those guys who are on those courses qualified and out into the workplace? Uh, really vital because there's a lot of uh, projects in the city region that are still carrying on. Um, we need to be able to continue with those. And also, we, we want to be able to, as the economy starts recovering and people get back to work, that we can provide that skilled labour straight away. I mean, A-levels and GCSEs is only 8% of what we do in our college. Uh, we've got 13,500 students, so it's a very small percentage, but most of the jobs and most of the opportunities are at you know, the level three, level four technician level, uh, which is digital construction, engineering, all of those skills that the city region needs uh, is, is what we're doing. And that's what businesses want. And businesses, big demand from businesses is technical and professional. Obviously, some young people are still wanting the option of GCSEs and A-levels. Um, but businesses and young people now are much, much more likely to choose that technical and professional route because they know that's where the jobs are. Let me just go back onto those uh, academic qualifications, if I can put it that way, and how they are going to be assessed. Um, has there been, uh, well, from what you've said, there hasn't really been clear guidance as to how those assessments are going to take place. And then the other problem, uh, I suppose, as you again have sort of alluded to, is what happens next year. Um, because kids who are currently in their final year of school uh, will again have that challenge, won't be where their assessments are yeah. taking place rather than them sitting exams. So um, there's an off-call uh, consultation going on at the moment. Until that's concluded, whatever we're hearing is not final, but we've got a pretty good indication of what will happen with GCSEs and A-levels, which is uh, we'll take a view in terms of students' work to date. Um, we will put them in rank order, which is going to be very challenging for large colleges like my college and Lizzie's college, where you've got you know thousands of students where we're supposed to put them in rank order. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that would be a huge challenge uh, based on their work to date. The awarding bodies, exam boards, then will look at our performance as centres over the last few years and they've got an algorithm so the grades should be fairly accurate um, but we know that you know working from home and students who come to college not all of them but some of them who might not be the most academic but are very talented in other ways 
get better as the year gets on. So we want to make sure that our students are not disadvantaged in any way uh, from this process. And obviously we'll be keeping very alert to way that's moving forward. We, um, we've had some advice about other qualifications, but we're waiting for the final confirmation. So will they have to still do? I mean, some of the awarding bodies have been fantastic. So performing arts, allowing them to do their final year projects in their bedrooms, uh, performing, putting a performance on. So there is, yeah, there are some different ways of looking at it. <laughs> um, and, and we won't, there won't be exams. It will all be based on work to date. But we know that for some of the really technical areas, we will need access to possibly trade tests, etc. But next year will be the challenge because so many students will come to us without their learning fully consolidated. And we know when they have that long period in the six week holidays, we have to kickstart it again in September. So to have been out of learning from March will be a huge challenge to all educational establishments, either students coming back for the second year or students coming to us new will be where most of the risk will be. We're trying to do our best to keep in touch with schools and give them some work uh, whilst they're in year 11, but um, depends on whether the school feels we're a competitor or not, whether that um, happens. Um, and then we're going to have to think about how we come back, you know, how do we enroll, how do we run a college? It will be different. We know it will be different, um, probably on different start times, less students in at any one time. And also continue the online learning because that's been really successful for many students and they like that. Many students have grown up with this, aren't they? They're digital yeah. kids. So it's, it's more what they prefer. So we will have to think differently, but I think there'll be challenges and opportunities mm. undoubtedly yeah and i think that's always the case isn't it through any crisis um you always are able to see some positives coming out of it and as you've rightly said elaine i think you know even technophobes like me are starting to uh, find a way navigate the way around this this online stuff yeah. um i think the the fear i would have uh, on that's gone i do apologize to to Liz, I think we're struggling with the technology to uh, to get her on this morning, but we'll continue to try. Um, the one thing we can safely say is, is she's not stuck in traffic. Um, she she's stuck somewhere in the in the ether of technology. As you and I saying that we we're getting to to know our way around technology better and having a problem, but we will get her on, I'm sure, before uh, the end of the yeah. session. Um, but just in terms of um, one of the conversations we've had previously about the importance of what the college does mm -hmm. uh, and of course you know we've taken some apprentices um, on from the college in fact you will remember we took a guy called Jack Hunter on I do uh, remember yeah. yeah about seven or eight years ago now I think it yeah. maybe not yeah. quite that long anyway Jack went away um, to go and work for, for a bigger company than ours uh, and he's just come back We've just, uh, we've just poached him back so uh, so your apprenticeships have, have definitely served us well uh, not just in Jack's case in several occasions but the one yeah. thing I've always found about the people that come from, from the college is that they have that very practical um, hands-on personable um, work yeah. ethic so you know you're very careful to, to teach them not just the academics and the technical side of a job or how they should be acting in the workplace. That's where I fear, Elaine, 
you know, moving entirely towards online could start yeah. to impact people's social skills going forward, if that makes sense. Oh, it does make sense, most definitely. I think the mindset is so important um, in terms of getting people ready for work and making sure that they're first in the queue of any job. And I, I do think we've got a ticking time bomb in terms of mental health going on at the moment. We know from picking up messages from uh, many of our students, I think there is a massive mental health issue as well. Mm. Um, but I don't think completely online will work, but nor do I think that coming back in September or whenever we're allowed back, will we be quite back to normal as such as we knew it. Um, so you're right, it's, it's all about the interpersonal skills and the development of the mindset ready for business and making sure that they're working. You know, we get them working in our own businesses with the college first, whatever that might be. Um, because what employers want first and foremost, I think they'll be a little bit more forgiving if they haven't got the technical ability perfect, but they will not be unforgiving if they haven't got the work ready skills. You know, if they can't look people in the eye, can't hold a conversation, can't write an email, uh, can't use their initiative. Um, and, you know, just they've got to have that personality where they can interact with people. So those are the, I think, the essential skills. The, the teaching of the qualifications is the easy bit, isn't it, really? Well, I'll say that I'll, I'll nod in agreement there on the basis that I, I was never particularly comfortable with the sitting exams and, and qualifications. <laughs> and I, I, I was only reflecting a few days ago that I wish I'd have, uh, I'd have had that assessment process in place rather than having to go through the, the torture of sitting an exam. It's just the nerve, isn't it, the kick in for some people. And uh, I, I, was, I was never great in that environment. Um, no. People are not. I, I loved it because I, I, I didn't like, I hated continuous assessment. I used yeah. to like going to the exam room and then think that's it, done it. Yeah, so I just want to broaden the conversation now from because we've spoken sort of those sort of 16 to 19 year old students, of course, yeah. you know, the majority of people fit into that category that you guys engage with. But then you do have other no, most of yeah, them are, most of our students are 19 to 24. Uh, now there you go i should know that yeah. shouldn't i be yeah. a, a governor <laughs> of the college um but equally i think there's there's also you know those opportunities that people may not be aware of around um those training packages that you offer yeah. Yeah. so you know businesses that are watching this uh who are probably thinking about, let, let's face it, some streamlining of their teams next year, but equally yeah. thinking, but we're then going to have to upskill the people that we've got. Where do I need to start? Where do I go? Uh, mm -hmm. And again, colleges are a great starting point for those conversations. They are, um, because as you say, we work with individuals, whether they're young people, 16 to 18, um, but we have also a, a lot, a hell of a lot of 19 to 24 year olds and over. And we work with them in, in different ways. Sometimes it's them coming to us saying, I want to upskill. Uh, I want to do something full time or part time or alongside my job. And then we have a lot of employers who are coming to us saying, you know, what we'd like is this skill. Because employers are not really that bothered about qualifications, they're bothered about skills. They, you know, they're usually very specific about what they need. Um, and we can do that bespoke individualized training for an employer 
it might be one day, it might be one week, uh, it could be whatever shape or size they want it, it can be as short as you want it, delivered on their premises, it can be delivered however it's wanted. And that's the beauty of the college is we are so flexible. And we work, we work with, you know, around about uh, 1,200 businesses where we're, we seem to be able to provide them with a bespoke service for whatever they need uh, around a range of short qualifications or long qualifications. And um, usually it's because we're delivering to them what we want in the way that they want it. And a lot of it then is just word of mouth. So what I'd say to employers out there is, whatever you need is, we can probably deliver it for you. If you've got staff furloughed, now is your best opportunity to get them to do all that training that you've never yeah. got the time to do. Um, you know, no matter what it is, we can, we can certainly do that and we can fix it up right now, right into their home. So uh, now's a good time. Yeah. And of course, there are some funding packages available to help. SME, yeah. isn't there in terms of, uh, of those training packages? Yeah, there's lots. Of, often, most of the delivery is free at the point of delivery. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot, because we're drawing down a lot of government funding, whether that be apprenticeships or whatever that might be. Uh, only when it becomes extremely bespoke and something that we can't draw down that funding for um, would an employer have to pay for it. But, you know, 95% of the time, it's free at the point of delivery for the employee. Mm. Uh, now look at this. We've just we can we can see what Liz. Way? We can see Liz on the screen. So let's hope we will be able to hear it in a second. Um, you, you've mentioned um, apprenticeships a couple of times, there, Elaine. Now, of course, one of the big. Hi, Liz. Hello. Sorry about that. I've had to go in a different way completely. <laughs> We we were just uh, we were just saying that, that we, we at least knew you weren't stuck in traffic. Um, <laughs> I might so. as well have been. I've been as aggravated as I normally get in traffic. <laughs> so apologies. Okay, we'll we'll come to you in a second. Let me just uh, finish off this part of the conversation I'm having with Elaine and uh, <laughs> just on apprenticeships. And I'm sure Liz will want to comment on this as well. Um, we had this apprenticeship levy introduced a couple of yeah. years ago by government. Now we know that there's there's literally uh, millions of pounds that are stuck in that pot because yeah. firms have not necessarily been au fait with how they can access it. Um, others have just seen it as something that is a tax that they pay into the government and then the government will utilise it, not really understood it at all. Now, I know, Elaine, that you've been having conversations at combined authority level to see if there can be more flexibility from government moving forward so that yeah. we can release that cash. Any progress being made on those conversations? Um, a little, uh, but, you know, it, it's always going to be about apprenticeship. So I think sometimes employers think, I've paid into my levy, um, I want to do a management qualification or something. It's still more difficult to do anything other than apprenticeships. But where there has been some flexibility has been, you can pool your levy with your uh, supply chain, which I think can be quite valuable. We can, um, there is now the digital account, so it's not just those who are paying the levy, but also all the SMEs as well can join the digital account soon, which means they'll, you know, they get access to free training. And um, there's lots of help and support for them to be able to do that. So I would say that 
a little bit of flexibility, not as much as I know we want and employers want, but there is the opportunity now to work with your supply chain where that's relevant. And there is the opportunity now for SMEs to become much more involved. Um, but we are still seeing a lot of employers using their levy on very high level qualifications and less about bringing new entrants into the market. Although we're seeing a little bit of shift on that, especially in construction and engineering. Okay. Liz, great to have you with us. Hi. Good that you've been able to to uh, to work out the technology and and overcome the challenges. And um, Liz, we're talking to Elaine about you know this unique situation that education finds itself in at the moment in terms of you know we're at the time when you'd be preparing for getting people to sit down, take their exams, um, other qualifications that like the City of Liverpool College, Preston's College undertakes in terms of vocational training um, so we've heard from Elaine in terms of how Liverpool is handling that challenge and those issues tell us what's happening in Preston right okay well um, I think um, it was very fortuitous in one sense that we'd invested into quite heavily into our infrastructure so as soon as um, we we kind of heard that we were in lockdown and needed to go virtual as it were really able to do that very quickly and I think without that um, investment actually we would have been a different place so that really has helped and um, we had probably about three days where we could really work on our distance online learning and then on the Monday uh, of lockdown we were able to deliver um, and engage with the learners to a lesser and greater extent um, all online and interestingly I think um, levels of engagement um, in a way, it, it almost replicates kind of attendance uh, and what would happen normally. For those that are raring to go and, you know, are engaged, uh, they're absolutely engaged. Um, for those that perhaps um, need more encouragement, um, you know, that has also been the case. But we have our student managers, our learner support people who have been very active indeed. And obviously there's a real focus on those that are the vulnerable learners and everything and so we've been working really hard with families with social workers uh, and there to try and engage as many people as possible i think with apprenticeships that's been interesting as more people have been furloughed um, they actually their thirst for learning has become more um, you know and, and actually trying to engage with us at, at that level so we haven't seen a drop off in a way of people wishing to learn uh, whether that's because they want to get to the end of the provision or actually because um, maybe they're wanting something to do, um, you know, um, those drivers there. Um, but it's been interesting, really. I think two things for me. Um, those, there's still an issue about some learners who perhaps um, need the more wraparound support, need that physical discipline of coming onto the campus. To be supported um, for a whole host of reasons sometimes it's their safe place sometimes it's where they you know let's face it where they get their breakfast where they get their food um, where they just get some acknowledgement and support throughout the day our ESOL learners particularly are finding it particularly hard because they haven't necessarily built up their social networks they come to college to get those social networks so I think there's a whole host of things really uh, that we're seeing but but the focus is 
trying to support those learners at all the opportunities. We've, we've still made really good contact with employers. Obviously, they have other things to do at this moment in time. So we're very mindful of that, not hassling them, but at the same time being there for them if they wish. Um, it's not one size fits all at all. I think it, it really does differentiate um, the support, the engagement requirement, dependent on who you're dealing with, really. But certainly, I, I'm, I can't say enough for the, um, about the staff who have absolutely stepped up. And, um, you know, uh, even those perhaps where technology hasn't been their first um, focus, they've really, you know, the, there's some fabulous innovation, some really good stuff that once they've got the confidence to use the technology, actually doing some really quite interesting, engaging stuff, fun stuff as well, you know, to try and help the learners. So, um, and, and supporting their well-being and supporting their wider employability skills. Right. The, the issue really is our, the practical vocation, the technical, um, you know, they need to be back in the workshops and the salons doing and learning and developing those competencies and skills and that's I think will be the real um, deficit almost of all of this going forward in order to be competent and develop a skill it's not you don't just learn it in, in a session do you the practice to make perfect the real consideration of those the competencies and skills as you go forward is critical and particularly for employers, they need to know that when a person finishes their programme, they are absolutely competent in doing whatever they're doing. And that, I think, will has been lost. It's very difficult to replicate that at home, particularly in some areas. So how we get that back in and really develop the, um, the kind of uh, the period of time you need not just to know how to do it, but to actually do it and do it successfully and well and professionally so that you can go on to, um, uh, to be successful in employment, I think is the biggest issue, the biggest concern for me, really, in, in terms of how we do that. Fascinating conversation, this, because I think when people think education and exams, people will default to thinking uh, it's just about getting kids in and out of uh, those sort of exam uh, but that you know those big rooms where you used to sit hundreds of people sitting down with bits of paper it's very different what you guys do and of course yeah. you've just in a nutshell there Liz uh, demonstrated how difficult and how challenging that actually is and another point that you touched on I'll bring Elaine back into the conversation in a moment because I know this is a big issue uh, in normal times never never mind now um, but this of mental health um, which, of course, has been focused upon uh, more seriously in recent times and has become an increasing problem, I think, and an issue uh, in, in young people. And as this lockdown continues, listen, I, you know, I, I wonder now whether Boris Johnson wakes up in the middle of the night and thinks, I wish I wouldn't have won that general election in December, uh, because <laughs> this is a, a nightmare of a crisis for anyone to deal with. But I noticed over the weekend uh, an increasing number of people saying, listen, the, the short-term health benefits of protecting people from a virus are going to lead to some major, major long-term issues here, and mental health being one of them. Mm -hmm. And I know that both colleges deal with vulnerable people in this area, Liz. Yeah. So, again, that must be something 
that is really testing your team and and trying to stay engaged with those people who you know are vulnerable must be really tough yeah i think that the um we've we've tried to take quite a pragmatic approach where yes the education and the the, the knowledge as it were and the learning is very important and that, you know, at the end of the day, that's our primary focus and, and that needs to be uh, where we're at. However, however, both the well-being of our students and our staff, I think, overrides all of that. And uh, if you think that um, we have many adults, I know as, as, as Elaine, you know, have many adults as well. So many of them are not only now looking after their own children, homeschooling, all of that kind of thing, which I think is proving to be quite an eye-opener and, and actually pretty stressful, to be honest. It's certainly um, the amount of um, work that schools are sending, trying to fit all of that in, and um, particularly for our staff holding down a job, or if you're a learner you, you know, and you're working part-time, holding down your job virtually as well and doing all of that kind of stuff. Plus, you know, what you're, you're isolating together as a family or, or wherever your circumstances are. And that brings, you know, it can bring benefits, but it can bring tensions as well. These are unreal situations. Um, so all of that comes together. So if a person, you know, can't learn necessarily between, you know, set times, well, actually, they will, as long as they learn and they do it when's appropriate for them. So what we've seen actually is, is a bit of a shift. For some of the young, so the 16 to 18s, particularly 16, 17s, they like a more rigorous timetable where they kind of, you know, and they're engaging in that way. And they have access to the teacher through uh, Teams and, you know, kind of what we're Canvas and all the rest of it. Many of the adults though, almost seems to have shifted. So we see patterns of kind of either very early morning login and then later at night login. And, you know, so they've gone about doing that. That's absolutely fine. You know, I, I think the whole thing about distance learning is, so what, what actually constitutes a register? You know, it blows all of the things, our normal things out the window, really. So as long as they're learning and they're engaging, you know, um, fruitfully and they're being able to develop that's absolutely fine isn't it and the new norm then should actually um, really underpin you know and, and embed some of those flexibilities in there um, the, the, the sense of having a register clocking in who's in and who isn't almost what does that mean anymore if they are learning at a time that suits them and they've got access to the tutor, they're developing that, then we should really be able to build on that and, and develop it. But it's very different to what's acceptable. And to be honest, what, you know, things like the SFA and the department would want to see from us, because of course, we've all got the, the tick, the boxes to tick to ensure <laughs> we pull down our funding. And it doesn't necessarily work like that anymore. Yeah, and, and you've led me on nicely actually to, um, point I was going to make to Elaine um, because you know one of the frustrations I have um, when we look at Ofsted reports and people monitoring what colleges do and schools and, and so on and so forth you know no account is ever taken of those socioeconomic factors that I think should be um, really factored into uh, a school's performance or a college's performance 
and Elaine, you know, I'm very conscious of the fact that at the city of Liverpool College, you know, we do deal with uh, a lot of people from uh, more disadvantaged backgrounds, deprived uh, neighbourhoods, uh, and therefore, you know, they do have different needs and different challenges to others. And then it almost seems to me that, you know, this mental health issue, although accepted now as a big challenge that needs to be dealt with, it's almost as though they've gone to colleges. Well, yeah, but, you know, just add that onto your, to your day job. Um, there's no pots of cash, is there? There's no way that you can go out and employ, you know, specialists in those fields because the government have recognised that you are a, a place, a hub, where there will be lots of people with, with those issues. But it's a case of you guys just have to get on with it, don't you? We, we do, um, and we're not given any extra resources as such to do that. Uh, but I think we're very skilled at, at being able to support students. Uh, this is what we do really well. Right now, we're monitoring 2,500 students, uh, extra monitoring, whilst they uh, might be doing quite well online. It's 2,500 students that we're actively monitoring because we are worried about them and concerned about their mental health. So that's a, an, an additional challenge to us. Um, but it's something that's not going to go away. Uh, and we've got to think about how we're going to do this. Um, it's always going to be there with us. So how can we get better at it? And lots of our efforts now are focused on opening up the college and recognising that this is going to be a big issue for us. So we, we don't even call it induction anymore. In fact, I don't even like the word induction. Um, we have a period of time which we call our learning to learn time because so many students, I think, are afraid of learning and what it's meant to them previously. And that contributes to poor mental health as well. So we spend this period of time trying to get to know them, understand them. What makes them tick as a person? What is it they really want from this? And the sooner you can find the person in there and understand what are their barriers that are gonna hold them back from achieving success. Uh, and you start to work at that level and you can support them as an individual and it can be as bespoke as possible, the learning and the support. Uh, it, we tend to find that things start to improve and I think that's what colleges are really, really good at. They know how to do this uh, and I think, you know, we're, we're, we're the best in, the in, the, in all the education sector and phases. I think if you look at what colleges do, because we've had to do this and we've been doing it for a long time um, and, we, and within that, there are so many talented people. They are so talented. Uh, so we've got to find the, the key that's going to turn it, that's going to turn all that into success. But there is a cost to it. I think the other thing as well, what I'm noticing, like Liz, we're having to still support our students with their free school meals. We're having to still support them in terms of other ways, their bursaries as well, because it's absolutely valuable income to them. And a lot of their families, uh, their income to the family is strained, um, reduced. And it's so valuable to them what happens um, and the support they get from college. I think we'll see more students triggering the bursary. I certainly can see that coming through already in applications. So many um, parents will have lost their jobs, have reduced income, and we're not going to get any extra money, but I think we're going to get more students coming to college in more difficult financial situations alongside their mental health. And we as colleges have got to gear up for this and be ready for it. We will be, because that's what we do well. But that will be a big consideration. 
as the economy takes a downturn and it will take some time for the economy to pick up again we'll have more young people and more adults in our colleges and more of them with more needs so it's making sure that we know that and prepare well for it and i think that's the 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 point isn't it liz we we know what's coming down the track so it's a case of preparing for that and i think it's also a case of of starting to make those representations to, to government now to say, well, uh, listen, guys, we understand and appreciate that, you know, budgets are going to be tight, but equally you've got to start to invest in people because the unemployment rate is going to be at a scale that we haven't seen for a considerable time. People are going to have to learn new skills uh, in order to get back into work. And then you've still got the numbers of people that would be ordinarily uh, joining colleges from school and so on. So, um, slightly different situation in Lancashire. You know, I know Elaine is is down the ear of Steve Rotherham and the combined authority and the local enterprise partnership using that devolution package to try and basically lever in additional resources into the college. Uh, and equally, I know Liz that you'd be keen to see that sort of structure in Lancashire. We haven't got it at the moment, but we've got to find a way in which Lancashire's voice and Preston's college voice is heard uh, within that lobbying setting. I think um, obviously it's a local level and, and you know, um, you know me, Frank, I'll uh, <laughs> try and fight the cause for um, what's required and needed um, at the local level and um, further afield. And, I think, you know, the first thing, and I'm sure Elaine, you know, we have to focus on how we can use our existing funding to leverage in and, and make sure we focus on our own learners. And then almost like the Russian dolls, try and cascade that out and try and drive agendas forward from regional perspectives. Obviously in, in, the, uh, in Lancaster, uh, Lancashire, it's always um, um, interesting, should we say, because we don't have that coordinated um, focus uh, and a devolved um, element. So you're still having to work through various various people to, to even get things coordinated and driven. I think, um, and there's certainly talk about the National Skills Fund and what that might mean and AB and trying to relax some of the flexibilities around all of that. Actually, that if we could have relaxed flexibilities and eligibility, for example, and the ability to really um, spend the, or you know, support where it's required, we know that where it's required and where we need to spend. We take account of the um, labor market intelligence, the sector analysis, we do all of that. We have a pretty good idea then, and we work well with employers to be able to focus that as you know as a lane within liverpool it's the flexibilities and sometimes the criteria then that you just it's so stifling because you can't actually focus and um, there's that lack of flexibility take that away have a pot of money you get some real um that would be a first thing straight away you could get real flexibilities there and be able to work with employers and those regional people and say right okay there's a real need there in upskilling and um, people have lost their jobs in this sector therefore we need to focus on the new skills for, for those people and work with them to do this and we would have the flexibilities of that pot to drive it forward 
and we can't even do that in some instances. So I think as a, as a first, you know, re reduce eligibility and really make sure we can drive it flexibly. And, and cut out some of the things, just the stuff that happens. <laughs> and colleges to work with to be able to focus where it's most needed and required and work there. That would be a, you know, I think a massive step forward. And it's not really a big step forward at all. That's just should what happened. And then build from that. If we were given that, it would be a great, um, great step forward. I'm sure you can stop this whole kind of putting things into pots. So institutes of technology, different funding pots. It just it's confusing, and because because it all has to be administered differently, it takes time. Cut all of that out, and then you get a much more integrated approach and package of support and skill development that would really have impact. Yeah. And I think, you know, we'd all be singing off the same hymn sheet in terms of suggesting that less box ticking and more investigation into the practical help and support that people get within colleges will be a massive step in the right direction. Um, Elaine, I just want to, you know, pick up on the suggestions Liz is making there in terms of allowing more flexibility in terms of the funded packages. But equally, um, I think I'd like to see, as I said earlier, you know, some reference in terms of the wider contribution that colleges make um, to community life. Uh, is there any way in which we could do that? Are there any practical measures that we could take, do you think, to be able to say to the powers that be, well, actually, look at what we're contributing here. I mean, there'll be people who watch this video back who won't believe that the colleges are involved in mental health support there'll be people out there who are not aware that you're providing meals to some of the students who ordinarily come into your places of education you know there's a whole range of services that you guys offer that are simply not recognized and acknowledged within that formal assessment of the things that you do are we getting any sense that 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 might be changing in the future? I, I think there's been a bit of a wake-up call to ministers, during, I mean it's a positive, there's, you know, there has to be some positives to this pandemic. <laughs> the, first of all, I think the Secretary of State was concerned about how many young people were calling Childline um, and, and then looking at what's happening in colleges and how well supported students are because we invest heavily in mental health, we invest heavily in terms of uh, support for housing for them, we provide support in terms of their friendships, there is just so much that we do that's wider. And you know, I, I, I talk about Liverpool, I'm sure Liz will say exactly the same things because that's what colleges are about. But you know, our college is open to the 999 service at the moment, we're doing all their training um, for extra people in the college. We are got all our fashion students making PPE for uh, the Royal Liverpool Hospital. Uh, all of our fashion students are making the PPE for all of our health and social care apprentices. So we've donated all of our PPE over to um, Aaron Park Hospital. Um, we're absolutely, our car parks are being used by certain uh, NHS staff. 
So there's, we are an essential part of the, of the fabric. And I think councils and local authorities are starting to realise that, that um, it's that continuing lifelong learning. It's, it's good for the individual, it's good for the economy, it's good for business. So um, I think there is some acknowledgement. I'd love there to be a lot more. Um, I think some of it has certainly come out because they've seen how quickly colleges have been able to respond. As Liz said earlier, um, our technology is set up in such a way that it was fairly seamless for us to transfer um, literally thousands and thousands and thousands of students to online learning. You know, we're not talking about a couple few hundred, we're talking about thousands. Um, and also then support our thousands of employers as well from a distance. And that's one of the other things that we do. It's not just about the individuals. We support business. We help businesses recruit. We, we advise business in terms of their skill needs. And then we deliver uh, uh, to business either on their premises or, you know, by them coming into college, their employees. So we're an absolute essential part of um, the fabric of community and also uh, social mobility together with uh, economic development. I, I do think it's getting better, but we're still that bit of education that's not fully understood. I think it's because we're so complex. You know, schools, everyone's been to school, they know what a school does. Most people think they know what a university does, but a college is much more complex, isn't it? It's that bit in the middle that uh, is probably providing most of the labor for the future, work, uh, the future workforce and the current workforce. You know, whether it's about replacement demand or whether it's about new jobs, who's at the heart of it? Colleges. Um, I know universities are big in terms of research, but I'd like to think that, you know, we're the D in that R&D, aren't we? We're the development, we're the, we're the organisation that's working with the small businesses um, in a very practical way, in a hands-on way. And, you know, most of our businesses actually are SMEs. So um, colleges are providing that support to the SME market, more so, I think, than any other type of organisation. Great points, Elaine. Yeah. Lisa, just, um, you know, if we, if we can, for, for one moment, try and put aside the, the many, many challenges that you're having on a day-to-day -day basis at the moment, and it must feel at times that you're doing a bit of firefighting as well as being able to get ahead of some things. Um, but if I may, for one moment take you uh six months down the line let's say um mm -hmm. because i know but, but both you and elaine have always got one eye on the future anyway you're always preparing for what might be coming next what are the sort of things that you think 2021 uh, preston's college may be able to start to offer that's slightly different to what you've been doing thus far i think um on, on a very practical level, uh, flexibility. So actually to offer um, blended learning, you know, there, there is a kind of thing, I'm sure, you know, I've been, we've been trying to drive an IT and kind of e-learning strategy for, for a number of years. And COVID's done something that, you know, <laughs> taken us years to do. This, this happened in two weeks. So, you know, there is something around not losing I think the innovation and the flexibility that comes with using the technology. So from learners' perspective, there is something around, um, do they need to be in college all the time? 
it, there's a big debate about that because actually you, you know we've already alluded you come to college for so much more than just the learning in that sense it's important it is but knowledge acquisition can happen anywhere really this has shown that so what do they actually need to be in college for some of that is that real practical the skills development really understand that critical kind of discussion debate analysis all of that but with it the social interaction the support the mental health the well-being support and those employability the development of the employability skills so i think first it, it challenges really what would have been the norm to now think about when we're planning curriculum delivery of curriculum that flexibility and building that in for me it challenges the sense of the timetable you know taking registers actually when can people learn when is it there and how do we accommodate that into the best package possible going forward and for staff as well i think it really you know again people have been asking about flexibilities about working from home all that kind of thing this proves absolutely we can do it whether we wish to but why are people like you know you were saying about not being on the motorway it takes me, you know, I, I don't um, actually live in the area. So it takes me three quarters of an hour, an hour <clears throat> to drive in and back. And, you know, using that time to actually work effectively. So I just think it really challenges and questions the norm and breeds and gives us more flexibilities. And to really focus what we do need to do face to face. That means in working practice and also in there. So I, I'm... I think there are some silver linings. I do think, though, we will have a set of learners who have been out of learning for a considerable length of time. We know that even over the summer period, that's a bit of a nightmare to engage them back in again. You know, they seem to have forgotten everything they ever knew, particularly if they come from school into college. You know, like um, I like um, Elaine's kind of, you know, not having induction, but learning to learn stuff. Just a bit of growing up to be honest, getting their acts together. Um, we're very much, we, we try and treat them more as adults than young people. So, you know, they've got to work out where to go and um, which lessons to be in and all of that kind of thing without being spoon-fed. So um, they will have lost all of that and they probably will, um, in some instances, not even engage with learning because particularly those doing GCSE or A-level, you know, that's it, that they won't be learning anymore. So I think we have to unpick that and adapt completely to supporting them, getting them engaged again, getting them feel confident, learning to learn um, and getting them involved and, and re-socialising them. Yeah, and unpicking some of the, the the i wouldn't say traumas but up, unpicking some of the things that they will have experienced and that they will have gone through college is a fantastic place for allowing them to do that it's a neutral space for many and going back to you know what colleges do we should never underestimate what that brings to people and helps them in that neutral safe space and work some of that stuff through so i think we'll spend a lot of time doing that um and and supporting staff as well they'll need to re-engage you know um as i say i think some of them particularly young parents themselves who have got um, young 
young children are really struggling with this you know to try and manage work and homeschooling and keeping all of that um young you know young energy it's hard stuff so um i think it'd just be very different and i think as leaders we have to encourage support facilitate and drive forward into something that we actually don't know about so it's a real it really is adaptive leadership at its its best isn't it in that sense and uh being really waiting almost to see i don't think we should be prescriptive either um how do our employers want us to engage with them what do apprenticeships look like how is it going to work we need to be led also by them not just being you know um specific about well this is the program this is this i'm not suggesting we do but more so now real listening stuff so some again opportunities but alongside those opportunities some challenges i guess as well and the other challenge elaine and this has just picked up on it there i suppose to a, to an extent is how um, business will wish to engage with college in the future uh, and i know that uh, already you know you guys will go into the workplace and you'll happily teach people on site and, and undertake training courses there and so on i'm just trying to think ahead as to what you know college life will look like particularly in uh, the immediate future uh, around safety and social distancing and uh, there's been some consultation uh, issued over the weekend i don't think there was anything particularly mind-blowing in that it was you know there, was a, there wasn't anything that i i saw that was wow what a great idea um but but again that's just just an added uh, complication i suppose isn't it to to what you guys are going to have to deal with uh, come september and return to 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 uh that's right. college well i think the, before we even start college there's enrollment so yeah. to colleges you know we <laughs> get 13 and a half thousand students all enrolled in my case in you know like a two-week period um many of our students will turn up after their gcse's as well so you know, we'll get 50% new students that we haven't seen before around about that period of time. And we, you know, we're using large sports halls. So we're having to rethink all of that. We'll have to move to an online platform now so that people can enroll with us in a different way and us be flexible enough and be able to move to whatever that enrollment tells us very, very quickly in the September. Um, on, on top of that, I think also it's about what will it look like? I don't think we're going to be able to return in September, that period between September and December. We're not going to be able to return to an environment where colleges will be following their normal classes. So uh, we've already had some indications from the Department for Education that uh, you know, we'll be allowed so many students on site, depending on the size of your building. So you and also we've got to be mindful of um, social distancing, transport, so students starting at different times, maybe some starting at 10, some starting at two, some starting at four o'clock um, and continuing with um, online learning. So as Liz says, you know, a blended approach. So I think we'll first of all have to think about getting students enrolled in a very different way using online. Then it will be um, a more gentle introduction to the college and they will have probably half the time in college and half the time where they're working online. I think young people will value that and support it. 
Um, adults who may be parents um, may find that more difficult. So we will have to think through um, all of that. But we were already thinking about having a transformation program at the beginning of the year anyway, before all this happened, where we were rethinking about um, what's our contact look like with people before they even start with us? What's our enrollment look like? Um, as a further education college working in a city where everyone's got a sixth form, uh, our students come to us and we spend the first five, six weeks trying to learn everything about them that's gone on in their life. We don't get information that comes with them. So we don't know if they had access arrangements, for example, have they got mental health issues? Have they had any support for their learning? What's their, pro all we get to know about them is, this is what GCSEs they got, and that's it. Um, we don't know anything about their medical support. Um, that's a really big issue for my college, and I think for some other colleges as well, is how much little information we get about the individual. We have to you know, spend the first six weeks trying to learn everything about them. Um, so we were looking at a different programme anyway, about how can we, you know, almost like, you know, that song, Move Closer. How do we get closer to our students much more quickly and understand um, more about them as an individual and therefore be able to develop a learning programme that's going to be much more supportive of them and remove the barriers to their learning much more quickly. We'll have to do that even quicker and it'll have to be even better than ever before, because we're gonna have this period of time where certainly for young people, and even for some adults as well, those returning, is um, they won't have had that period of consolidation of their learning. So we're gonna have to spend more time up front. The departments are starting to talk to us about extra, how are you gonna provide this extra tuition? Are you gonna do another term? Is there gonna be a term at the end? Are you gonna teach them for longer? Um, what might extra funding might we get? Might be what all of that is. Actually, they took the funding away from us for 60, for, for 18 year olds. Just give it us back. You know, other places have got this. They took 25% of the funding away from us um, for 18 year olds. Just give us that back and let us decide about because not every young person will actually want to be taught for longer and crammed learning. It doesn't work. You were talking about that earlier, Frank. You know, cramming that learning doesn't work for everybody. And ministers are still too obsessed with an A-level and GCSE way of working, where if we add the extra funds, actually we'll be able to do really good things for these young people and make them more work-ready, uh, broaden the support that's available to them, because that's what's going to be more helpful. Maybe, I don't know, smaller classes, maybe doing different putting, uh, teaching assistance in there with them. I think my students certainly would be more valuable than asking them to you know, be taught for more hours or for longer periods. I don't think that's what, really what would be the best way forward. So going back to, I think, the point Liz made earlier is give us the flexibility. We know what we do and we do it well. Let us do it. Okay, listen, I'm, I'm conscious of the time we've, we've kept you away from, uh, from your day job for, for almost an hour now. Um, so just a final point to, to both of you on a personal level, really, because we're, we're talking about this, this changing world that we're all entering into and whatever the, the new normal will look like, we know that it's going to be different from what we've experienced previously. Um, so how have, um, how have you found homework in this? Is, is it something that you've sort of naturally fallen into or uh, are you thinking, I can't wait to get behind my office desk again? 
Um, I think because um, just by the nature of the job, I tend to be on the move quite a lot. So on trains or, or whatever, bobbing down to London. And so I actually can work pretty well wherever I am. Um, and that mentality. When I'm at work, I kind of I'm very much have an open door policy. And so to be honest, a lot of the work, thinking kind of in the, you know, putting reports or whatever together, is done at home anyway because I do feel very strongly that when I'm there I should be accessible I should be going and wandering around and seeing what's happening in the college and supporting people so I think um, in terms of work-wise and it's a 24-7 job you're forever thinking and that doesn't stop wherever you are is it so I think um, I've been able to think I hope and um, there my main issue really is, has been about the concern and the support for both the staff and the students. And, you know, you, that often is a physical presence, just making sure that staff are okay, that, um, you know, nobody's wobbling or, or they have got issues. We're certainly seeing now more people who've been affected by COVID or relatives and they're having to deal with all of that as well. So, and you can do so much using Teams, can't you, and the technology, but there's nothing like that face-to-face. -face. So even if it's the social distancing space, um, I'm quite a tactile person, so I'm going to have to be really careful about, you know, kind of doing all of that. It'll be a nightmare for me, to be honest. But I'm looking forward to just touching base with those people and supporting them and seeing the students, and, but not from a... A learning or, or work perspective actually just seeing how everybody is and you know encourage them driving them forward all of that kind of thing but I I've actually quite enjoyed um, working from home I know you're not supposed to say that but <laughs> I'm looking to kind of a bit more flexibility it's shown me that we can do it and if that helps I certainly haven't missed the drive I absolutely haven't missed that drive up that motorway <laughs> so that's positive yeah, absolutely. Elaine, the, the same point to you. And actually, we, we did a, a poll last week where it was the daily commute that people miss at least uh, about working from home. So, so Liz, you would definitely concur with that. Well, Elaine, just on that, though, I think there is something around switching off, isn't there? So yes. I normally walk upstairs and actually just the, the, the walk downstairs is not sufficient for my brain to tune down. Yeah. So I've realised actually the importance of trying to shut off at some stage and I've got to work harder on that bit, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good point, actually. Elaine, final word to you on this, working from home? How you I, don't know. I don't know. Like Liz says, I think, you, you know, getting the work done, you can get the work done. Um, I'm a sociable person, so I really miss people. Uh, and when you're in a college, you're, you know, you're out going to meetings, you're upstairs, you're downstairs, you're, in, you're all over the place. And I think that social interaction I really miss. Um, being at home, I feel like I'd, you know, I'm, I've got one meeting after the next. It's good. I like the technology. I think it will change the way I work in the future. I think you will do less travelling, definitely. And think about when you can do meetings um, electronically. However, I find like when I'm at college, I'm more mobile. I'm walking around a lot more. I find like I'm sat in the same place. <laughs> on the call, on the Teams meeting, on my Zoom meeting. Um, and then I can't wait to get out and get some fresh air. You know, I just feel stuck and rooted to the same spot trying to get through everything. And um, 
So I probably need to be a bit more realistic about the amount of meetings in my diary or calls or whatever um, to enable me to just get out perhaps part of the way, part of the way through the day. Because I'm now thinking I'm late for the next meeting and my next one I'm on, I'm on the hamster wheel already. But there's a lot to be said for it. There's a lot of, lot of it I'll take forward, uh, but I'm, I miss people. Right, well, listen, on that note, and uh, let's hope we are all back to uh, to some, as I say, semblance of normality in the not-too-distant future. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to catching you up, uh, catching up with both of you face-to-face. -face. Uh, can I also just say to uh, businesses watching this, um, if you are looking at any sort of training needs, so it doesn't have to be apprenticeships, um, there's lots of other things that both Preston's College and City of Liverpool College offer. Um, certainly you can come through downtown and we'll put you in touch uh, with the relevant people at the colleges uh, or I'm, indeed I'm sure Liz and Elaine, as busy as they are, yeah. will be happy to have uh, a conversation with you as well. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Sorry about the, uh, the initial hiccup, Liz, but it was great to get you on eventually. I got there in the end, thank you. Absolutely, and, uh, and hopefully I'll see you both very soon. Cheers. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.